from this point until the time that you die, the inability to experience pain. And I ask for people to come up front and I would, you know, wave a magic wand or something like that, say a little hocus pocus. And once I did that, from this point on, you would never experience physical pain again. I wonder how many would begin to line up going down the aisle right there. I can tell you, if you ask me that, my first thought would be, well, absolutely. That sounds like a great idea. You know, I would never have another headache. Uh, I could stump my toe uh, on the corner of the bed, getting up in the middle of the night, and it wouldn't bother me. Uh, I could uh, break a bone, no problem. And you begin to think, that would almost be superhuman. That would be like a superpower to not have to experience any type of physical pain. Well, believe it or not, and some of you may be aware of this, there's a condition that some people have uh, in this life. It's, called, uh, it's either called congenital insensitivity to pain or it's called congenital analgesia. And it's somebody that is born with the inability to experience pain. And you ought to go read up on that sometime and read some of the testimonies of the people that have that and what you find when you read that is universally across the board, the people that are born with this inability to experience pain, without fail, every one of them call it a curse. They do not say it's a blessing. They say it's a curse to not be able to feel pain. And so what we read from that, or what we learn from that as we read about it, is that pain, uh, while it is a, a friend that brings us a great deal of discomfort at times, Pain is also a very good teacher and he teaches us things and the things and we learn from the things that he teaches us to walk in certain parameters to keep us safe. Right. Uh, some of the things that I read about uh, most of the people that have this particular disorder, most of them die very, uh, very young. Most of them don't live a, a very full life. Um, one of the cases was about a young boy that his parents, when he was uh, born and he began to walk, they couldn't figure out why he was so clumsy. He was all the time bumping into things and getting cut and getting bruised. And even just reading that little bit of it, I began to understand that, you know, when you walk into something and you bump into it and you cut or bruise your arm, you learn a little something, right? It teaches you something. Hey, I don't need to walk quite as close to the corner of that cabinet as I did the first time. But see, they don't learn that. They just hit it. They experience no pain. They feel it. But they don't have the sensation of pain. So they never really learn to adjust how they live their lives to avoid getting themselves hurt. And so this young boy was very clumsy. And his parents never really figured out what was wrong with him. And I know this is a little bit gross. Until one day that he bit the end of his tongue off and he had no feeling of it. And, you know, I thought about that being in the dental field. We numb a lot of people up. And Sister Rhonda will tell you that if we have a child and we do some work on them, we numb them up. One of the things that we always tell them and tell the parents is make sure you don't chew on your lip. Because while you're numb, you'll have that tendency to want to chew on your lip and you can't feel it. It's a very odd sensation. But when that numbing medicine wears off, you know, you've just destroyed your lip and you've got ulcers and all kind of sores inside your mouth. So we always tell them that. Well, there are people that are born with the inability to feel that. So they just, he just, this guy just bit the end of his tongue off. 
And so a lot of these people, they don't learn from the things that pain typically teaches us. And they end up with a lot of broken bones. They end up with a lot of infections. And before they realize they have the infection, it's almost too late. Oftentimes, many of them, um, especially the males uh, that are somewhat daredevils, a lot of those end up in wheelchairs and they end up paralyzed because they, uh, again, uh, one of the examples was a guy jumped off the, the side, jumped off his house off the roof to land. Well, you and I would never do that. Because we've hurt our ankles before. We know what it's like to sprain an ankle or to twist your ankle or to break a leg bone. And we don't want to feel that pain. But he never could experience that. So he would jump down the stairs. He would jump off the roof and end up becoming paralyzed. And many of those people that are wheelchair bound, these young men, they end up committing suicide because they don't like the quality of life they have. Does anybody want to come and line up and get the magic potion? Probably not now, right? Maybe initially it seems like, yeah, that'd be pretty exciting, pretty interesting. But you see, pain is, while it brings us discomfort in, in a strange kind of way, it's a blessing to us to be able to feel, right? Because it keeps us in line. Now, I want to look at Romans, the second chapter, for just a second. One of the great things that the Lord does for us, and I don't have time to go through the, you know, the entire scope of what primitive Baptists believe, but we do believe that a man in his fallen state would never want to accept God, never want to surrender to God. We believe that. We believe that God had to make himself a family and choose himself a family based on man's fallen condition. And he sent his son to die for their sins so they could stand before him holy and without blame and love, right? But there's something that the Lord does for us on this side of eternity for all of his people. That's a very special thing. And we call that being born again. And at that moment that a child of God is born again, the Bible tells us that he takes a heart of stone out of them, a heart that does not feel and is not tender towards God. And he puts a heart of flesh in them. A heart of flesh is something that can feel. It has a, a tenderness towards the Lord. And on that heart, in the very same way that the finger of God wrote the laws to Moses on the tablets of stone in the same way that same finger writes the laws of God on that fleshy heart. Now, one of the things that the Bible calls that is a conscience. That's a Bible word, a conscience. A conscience is just the inner part of man that discerns between what is right and what is wrong. Okay, so uh, somebody may be brought up in a household and they're taught the things of God. Maybe this person is born again and uh, they're taught the things of God and they have a good head knowledge of it. And they learn not only from the law that God has given them in their heart, but also maybe from the teaching of their parents. But maybe there's somebody somewhere and you can read about different uh, experiences from people that traveled afar is sometimes they would go into these communities where the gospel had never been, yet they find people that are living as if they had been taught the very things of God. Now, I want to read a verse here, to a couple of verses in just a second, that prove to us that God's law is written on our hearts, giving us the ability to discern between what is right and what is wrong. That is called a conscience. Now, in Romans, the second chapter, I want you to remember uh, way back when in the Old Testament that the Lord gave laws to his people, the Israelites. Right. He gave the Jewish people his laws and his commandments. And you can read in Romans, the third chapter, it says, what advantage then hath the Jew? It says much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. You see, the Lord did not give his law to the Perizzites or the Hittites or the Jebusites or any of those people, the Canaanites. He gave it to the Israelites. 
And that gave them a great advantage. It was a great light to them. And I've preached before years ago here about how those laws gave them an advantage. One, for, for sanitary reasons, for dietary reasons, for all manner of reasons. They had a great advantage over these nations that didn't have the law, right? Well, it tells us in Romans, the second chapter, in verse 14 here. Remember, the Gentiles did not receive this law. But it says, for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Now, what it's saying there is the Gentiles were not given the law, and they, but they do by nature the things that are contained in the law. That's kind of bizarro. How could somebody that had never been given the instruction, never been given the law, how could that person by nature do the things that were written in the law? Well, it tells us, it says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, there's that word, also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else, else excusing one another. Now here, Paul is saying there are Gentiles out there that never received the law of God. But when we look at them and when we watch them, some of them are doing the very things that are contained in the law. And he says that is the proof that they have the law of God written in their hearts if they're born again children of God. And that law that is written in their hearts sometimes will accuse them of things that they're doing. Have you ever felt that? That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The conviction of the Holy Spirit where you're doing something and all of a sudden you say, you know what, maybe I can't pull a Bible verse out right now to my memory that tells me what I'm doing is wrong, but this just feels wrong. That is the Spirit of God through the law that's written in our hearts accusing us, saying, don't do that. You're doing something that is wrong. And then there are other times, as we preached before, where maybe there's an issue where there is Christian liberty and maybe somebody tries to tell you that what you're doing is wrong, but your conscience, conscience excuses you. It says, no, this is okay. This is a liberty that you have and you're not sinning against the Lord. And so Paul says, we see that in people who were never given the written law. Now, that's because we know that the law of God is written on their hearts. So the conscience is a whole lot like pain, right? Do any of you like somebody to come up to you and say, I need to tell you what you're doing is wrong? Nobody likes that, right? As a matter of fact, the first thing that happens is you feel your body temperature rise. Maybe your face gets a little red and you say, how dare you come to me and tell me that I've done something wrong? It's a little bit uncomfortable, right? But it is a great blessing for us to feel that conviction to tell us that what we're doing is not right. Come back over this way. So the spirit of God convicting us through that conscience is a great blessing to us. It is not a curse. We need to squirm a little bit sometimes when we violate God's word. Right now. Let's look at a few more verses here for just a second. Flip over to first Timothy, the fourth chapter. First Timothy, the fourth chapter, what we're talking about is the conscience, the blessing of the conscience and how that conscience, while it makes us uncomfortable at times, is a great, great friend to us. Now, we can do things to damage that conscience. And it seems to me 
that we have a lot of that going on in our society. You know, it is mind-boggling to me, and this may make you mad. We can talk politics later on if you want to. I don't care to, but if you just are determined to, we can do it. It is mind-boggling to me how a professing child of God can support somebody who supports abortion. Any amens out there? It's mind-boggling to me how somebody can do that. I understand that foreign policy is important, right? But you know what the Bible says? When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies be at peace with him. If we will just follow God and his commandments, foreign policies will work themselves out because the Lord will be going before us. But how is it that some children of God, and I have been that person, I've never supported abortion, don't get me wrong, but I have overlooked and turned a blind eye to other things that are an abomination to the Lord at times, and probably you have too. How is it that we can do that? How is it having a conscience inside of us telling us what is right and telling us what is wrong, how can we say, I'll support this even though they support and I know they will promote and progress abortion throughout our nation. How, how can we do that? It's because sometimes that conscience ceases to work. Notice this. Verse 4, 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Here we have people that have been walking in the faith. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you ever wondered what that is? What is a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devils? A doctrine of the devil is any doctrine that is contrary to the teaching and doctrines of God. Evolution is a doctrine of the devil. It is a seducing spirit, right? Um, when you think about, uh, you know, the, the platform that we talk about many times where uh, people say in the name of love, we should allow wh whoever to marry whoever. That's a doctrine of the devil because it, it is contrary to what the Lord taught us. Right. So doctrines of devils and seducing spirits are anywhere you find something contrary to the word of God. You will find many doctrines of devils and seducing spirits, spirits in colleges today. Where professors stand up and they begin to teach things that are contrary to the word of God. And all they're doing is through the workings of a seducing spirit, they're preaching doctrines of devils. You'll find that in colleges. You know what? You'll find that on television. Also, you know, television teaches us a whole lot of things. And I'm convinced one of the problems that we have a fornication problem today, even though I know we've had it for a long time, is because maybe back in the 90s, a lot of these very popular TV shows glorified fornication. That's a doctrine of the devil that even if they weren't purposefully saying, I'm teaching you something, our children and the people that are my age, they learned something from that. You know what they learned? Hey, this is cool. And there's no consequences to it. It was a doctrine of the devil, and it was nothing but a big lie. So doctrines of devil and seducing spirits are everywhere, and it's anything contrary to the word of God. Verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Notice this, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. All right, here's this conscience that we've been talking about, that we receive when we're born again by the Spirit of God. The wonderful ability to determine what is right and what is wrong, even though it makes us uncomfortable, just like pain, it is not a curse to us. It is a blessing that we have that. 
But here we find people that begin to lend an ear to doctrines of devils and seducing spirits, much like in 2 Timothy, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ear from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You see, that's a road we can travel down. We want to hear things. You read over in Isaiah, the 30th chapter, I think it's verse 10, where it talks about Israel saying, hey, don't preach to us hard things. Preach to us smooth things. Smooth things meaning give me something that's easy to hear. Give me something that's easy to swallow. Don't make me squirm in my seats. You know, Brother Tim says sometimes, he says, I'm sorry if I stepped on your toes, but I was aiming for your heart. He wants us to squirm a little bit sometimes. We need to squirm a little bit sometimes. But these people back in the days of Isaiah said, I don't want to squirm. Just tell me something that makes me feel good. And a lot of children of God are suffering today because we need preachers and pastors with some backbone that says, I can't just stand up here and honor God and constantly tell you smooth things. There's things that you need to hear. You know what's the Bible say? The words of the wise are as goads. A goad is a prodding, something that, is, that, is, uh, that pricks you and makes you move like a cattle prod. The words of the wise are as goads, and it says, as, and nails with the master of assemblies. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails with the master of assemblies. That means that sometimes the word of God is meant to prick you and move you. And sometimes with those nails, it's meant to build you up and encourage you and strengthen you, right? But sometimes it's hard to feel those pricks. And so we say, just give us smooth things. And as 2 Timothy says, just heap to ourselves teachers, teach us fables. We've got itching ears and tell us what we want to hear. Tell us about our best life now. Tell me about how great, wonderful I am. But you see, when you hear that enough, And when you listen to doctrines of devils enough and you listen to seducing spirits enough, this conscience, this blessed spirit of God that guides us and tells us what is right is wrong, what is right and what is wrong will be seared with a hot iron. Do you know what that hot iron is? I'm going to flip over to Deuteronomy for just a second. Let me read you this verse here in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, if you want to write it down. And this is not the only place you can find this. You can find this in multiple places in the Bible. Deuteronomy 4.20 But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of what? The iron furnace. Even out of Egypt to be unto him a people of inheritance as you were this day. Do you know many times in the Bible you find Egypt being described as an iron furnace? And you will also find, I heard a preacher preach a long time ago, and I really, really enjoyed it. You will also find in the Bible that Egypt Egypt is a picture of the world and the world's way. And when you go into Egypt in the Bible, I don't care if you were below it geographically, the Bible says so-and-so went down into Egypt. Even if they went there north geographically, we would not say right now, I would, I would be, it would be incorrect for me to say, hey, we're leaving church today. We're going down to Tennessee. No, we go up to Tennessee, right? Because Tennessee's north. We would go down to Florida. But every time in the Bible, when somebody goes into Egypt, they go down. And when you go into the world's way, into that iron furnace, you're falling down. And as you go down, that conscience has the, the, um, the danger of becoming seared. 
It's a hot iron that will be placed on your conscience and it'll sear it and you will cease to have as good of an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. That is why people can say, I'm a professing child of God and support abortion. That's why people can say, I am okay doing this sin and it really doesn't sting and it really doesn't bother me anymore. It's because that conscience has been seared with a hot iron. I've been there. I've been there. You know what I've been thankful for? I've been thankful for preachers who are willing to preach to me and hopefully open my eyes to that and bring some conviction in my life. Because you know what conviction brings? Repentance. And repentance is a turning away from sin. Now, in Acts, the second chapter, again, one of the purposes of preaching is to bring that conviction. You ought to read Acts, the second chapter sometime. In Acts, the second chapter, Peter, this is this is post crucifixion. This is post resurrection. This is post ascension. And the Lord has ascended into glory. He has sent his spirit to the earth. And now it's time for these guys to start preaching, really preaching. And the first one of the first things that Peter does is he begins to preach to a group of people and he calls them wicked. He glorifies the Lord and he's looking at these people and says, our Lord has been crucified by wicked men. And he says, you're the ones that did it. What would you think about Brother Tim if he got up here one Sunday and started calling you guys wicked? You'd probably run him out on a rail, right? (laughs) But Peter stands up and says, you're wicked. What you've done is not right. What you've done is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't stomp their foot and say, how dare you? That conscience that had been seared from all the teachings of the Pharisees and the high priests, the conscience that had been seared all of a sudden became <coughs> renewed. And it says, now when they heard this, they were what? Pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That word prick means to be smitten with sorrow or guilt. Now let me go back to this. If I told you I had a magic wand again, And I said, you can come down forward right here, right now. And I'll wave this magic wand over you. And you will never feel smitten with sorrow or guilt again. How many of you would pile out and run down front? Initially, we would say, yeah, let's do that. But it's like I said at the beginning. If I could take away the ability for you to feel pain the rest of your life, I have put a major curse on you. It is a blessing to us to at times feel smitten with sorrow or guilt and let the Lord of glory in an act of mercy. Let those laws burn our hearts saying what you are doing is not right and you need to change and repent and walk in a different path. That's what a merciful God has done for his people. He did not just leave us here alone to figure all this out. He gave us a light of his word burned in our hearts. And brothers and sisters, when you feel that that uh, heart convicting you, when you feel your conscience convicting you, when you feel your conscience accusing you, like we read about in Romans, the second chapter, you need to one, praise God. And two, get on your knees and repent and confess that sin to him and turn and walk a different way. 
Because to live our lives without the pricking of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives is to live our lives just like these people who can't experience pain. They'll tell you they're doomed and they do not enjoy their life and they're, they're cursed. Thank the Lord that we feel that pricking. Brothers and sisters, if, if you have ever felt the pricking, rejoice. If you feel that pricking right now, rejoice. That is a mechanism that God gave us to keep us safe. I hope that's been profitable to you. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes and preaches.